invincible now. Invincible? Yeah. Second shot. <gasps> yeah. Have you unlocked the, the 5G powers yet? Like, is your phone getting better signal as a result? Yeah. And I can also point at Coke cans. And if I go yum, 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 like that, they fly around. Nice. That is 5G as well. That's pretty impressive. I'm curious to find out how the show's going to differ now that uh, the Microsoft Corporation using the microchips is able to control your every action. I I, I hope that's not going to negatively impact the show. I must buy a Series X. Well, I mean, you would if you could. Yeah. Next-gen consoles being what they are. Yeah, I think I've got to... I'm going to have to go on eBay and buy one for like $1,500. Ah. I just feel compelled to have one. So that I can enjoy the fine suite of Microsoft products. Mm. Microsoft has so many good products that you could be experiencing if only you had a Series X. Oh, they're better They're better products than my family. Oh. I would burn my family in an incinerator before I didn't enjoy the Microsoft family of products. Yeah, I've only gotten my first shot, so I'm only 50-50 on getting a Series X. You're half immortal. See, I've not had any of my shots yet. I'm still stuck in the <sighs> UK waiting around for mine. Because, see, I'm excited because I, I hear all this talk about, about vaccines causing autism and I've, I'm already autistic, so I'm ready to get that leveled up level two autism so that I can, you know, really, really capitalize on, on obsessive interests. Hell yeah, double the autism, double the fun. You will get exactly. so much time with trains. Oh, it's going to be so good. You know, it's going to be oh. train mania over the Laura Chateau. I've decided you live in a chateau. Yeah, I'm going to rebuild the whole office so it looks like the inside of a subway <sighs> car. It's going to be great. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. And then get... What you want to do is, like, get a, a sound effect playing on your computer on loop. Just... I mean... You're suggesting I don't already do that. I did. When I got to the second, <laughs> I was like, maybe she's already done this. I, I mean, I the last few days of working, I have had like a, th a particularly good three hour video of a train journey that I just keep playing. Nice. Which does mean that while I'm writing, all I'm hearing is the sound of a train gently happening. So I'm getting there. Excellent. Excellent. I've had uh, old WWE roars again as my background noise. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Oh dear. <laughs> oh, wrestling in 1998. Oh dear. I could have suggesting there was anything less than perfect uh, about 90s wrestling. A few issues. Poor Taka Mishinoku. A few issues, everyone. Oh. oh. It was, yeah. I mean, there was still. Kane was cool still. He had magic powers back then. He made he set a man on fire. More wrestlers need magic powers. I yeah. want magic powers to be more of a wrestling gimmick. Well, that's what there was a lot of that going on up here in Philly. A lot of wrestling that was magic powers and mind control and all sorts of wacky shit. And then it closed down. I want to watch someone get like psychically key blasted over the other side of the, the wrestle ring without any physical contact. Done. I'll do it tomorrow. That's good to hear. Huzzah. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll get in touch with Kimberly Spirit and be like, hey, do you want to <laughs> like, do you want to watch the Mortal Kombat film? And then when she comes over, like, I'll be like, oh, David Lawless and Mr. Grimm came as well. Uh, and then we'll fight. We'll fight for the right to party. Well, I, I mean, now that you've had your second jab, I'm pretty mm. sure those those psychic magical powers are going to be, you know, kicking in any any moment now. Less noise that I just 
constantly make now because of all the magic. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, Justin has in most of this episode, you know, just like filtered it out with noise removal so that no one's, you know, hearing the constant whir of your psychic powers. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully. Um, I think it's it's usually a low enough frequency that you just throw a noise gate on. Yeah. <sighs> Welcome to Position. Yeah. It's video game show. Yeah, you all right? I'm all right. How are you? Uh, not great. No? No. No. I've had another business venture fall through. Oh, no. Uh, novelty singlets. <gasps> Uh-oh. Right? You got a lot invested in that. <laughs> Most of my money. All of my money basically went into novelty singlets. There was a couple issues with that. One being there's no market for it. No market whatsoever. I don't know. I think if you dropped a website link, you know, tomorrow, I think you could sell some novelty singlets. I've had them in a lockup for six months. They're certainly not going down the covered market. <laughs> uh, the other issue is, is that we lacked the budget because I bought so many singlets. And the imagination, because all I've thought about is singlets, to make the singlets novelty. Oh. So I've got a lockup full of singlets. Now, you'd think that would be a benefit because there will be a market for just regular type singlets. But the novelty is that you have a storage locker full of plain singlets, basically. Yeah. I think that you can salvage this. I think you can sell it. You just have to tell people these are novelty singlets, and the novelty is that they are completely plain novelty singlets, because you don't usually get completely uh, plain, no-design novelty singlets. Not completely plain. No? Oh? No, the lockup isn't damp-proof. Oh. Yeah, there's some coloration. There's some patterning. Well, now that now they're artisanal. Yeah, that's basically tie-dye, but without the, you know, that's ecologically sound tie-dyeing. Every piece unique. Yeah, environmentally friendly too. I mean, not yeah. not in a human environment, but mould is part of nature. Yeah. So... Do you want to feel nature close to you while you wear your singlet? Then this is the singlet for you. Yeah, but wear a mask, not the face mask that's for other people. A proper filtered one like you'd use for spray paint. If you're going to be wearing this singlet for like your, your high school wrestling or yeah, I don't know what else you do with singlets. Gym? Do you do gymnastics? You can. Not this gym. This gym has been done in a singlet, but... <laughs> oh, should we talk about video games? Yeah, I'm sure the listener didn't tune in for multi-singlets. <laughs> well, I mean, they probably did, but there yeah. is a lot of video game stuff to get on board with today, and we're going to have to get through a lot of stuff. Meet multi-singlets in your area. <laughs> Who's played a video game this week? <laughs> You did. You played all the video games this week, play Laura. Games. I played video games. I can talk about some of them. Several of them I'm not going to have much to say about. I spilled me Red Bull down my top. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, God. Sticky tits. Hey, everyone. This is Justin. I need to put a quick content warning for this next segment. They discuss a game called Before I Forget, which deals with dementia. And it's a very heavy discussion that... Maybe not everyone will be wanting to hear at this moment. I myself even found it hard to listen to while I was editing it, even though it is an important conversation they have. But if you are not in the right frame of mind for this very frank and serious discussion, both about the game Before I Forget and the subject of dementia, you can skip ahead to 
18 minutes and 2 seconds. I'm going to start with one I'm a bit disappointed with this week. Mm -hmm. So I've been really anticipating for a while. I think it was on my my most anticipated indies of last year list. uh, A game called Before I Forget. Mm -hmm. It is a little over an hour long, and it is a game about living with dementia. It is a pretty heavy subject matter, obviously, to tackle in a video game. Mm -hmm. Most of the, the game is going around a house and interacting with things around the house and trying to learn about this person's life through the fragments of what they can remember about piecing themselves together. I think that the bulk of this game is incredibly well handled. I think that it does a lot very well with topics such as uh, the distress of disorientation. It does a lot in terms of tackling a lack of connection to self that can develop with conditions like dementia. It does a lot of stuff to do with zoning out and losing track of time. A lot of the bulk of this game handles dementia in a very tasteful, meaningful, very interesting and engaging way. My problem with this game is 100% the ending. You go into a game like this expecting a heavy ending, you know. Stories about dementia... There's not a huge amount of, you know, light at the end of the tunnel positivity with someone who is progressing rapidly with mental decline. I was prepared for the ending to be sad. I'm going to give a hypothetical here that is not the ending of this game with something that, like, I'd have been totally fine with. Let's say the game had ended with, it goes right back to the start of the game and everything that you've built this hour up trying to remember and trying to piece back together is just blank slate. That would have been dark, it would have been very sad, but it would have been thematically appropriate, it would have been, you know, the kind of ending that would have been an emotional gut punch in a manner that felt respectful and felt real. Without getting into too many specifics, the end of this game sure seems like it is suggesting the best thing that could happen to a person with dementia is they could just die already. You know... Speaking as someone who has some experience with this topic, like directly, my father presently has dementia Mm. and late last year was relocated to a private care facility um, outside of my mother's care for the first time and and the last time. He's going to spend the rest of his life there. I have no interest in playing this game. Yeah. You know, just because it's a bit close to home. However, speaking as someone with experience in this subject, from my perspective, and this is solely my perspective, and I certainly wouldn't speak for anyone else who has either had dementia or been involved in a relationship with someone who has suffered from that, I'm kind of with the game. I will say this. I can understand that being a perspective. I have experience with family members with dementia and with degenerative mental health conditions with brain tumours as well, and I'll say this. The specific depiction in this game was of someone who was able to still, to a reasonable degree, live life, was a happy person, was a person who may not be connecting with the world that is there right now, but is clearly still having good days and still having positive experiences and is still there to a degree. And my problem is very specifically with the game 
it basically boils down to uh, a slightly, it almost feels a little eugenics-y in its very sort of, it's very rapid, very rushed. I'm having a lucid moment. It'd be better if I died. Mm -hmm. And it just sort of very suddenly does that. And I'm not saying that that's not a valid experience that someone with dementia might have, but as a game created by people who themselves do not have dementia, it grossed me out. And I can see I can see why that would gross you out. Now, <laughs> my father has dementia. His father had dementia. Yeah. Okay. And now I am fairly certain that it is not actually genetic. The tests that have been performed on my father seem to indicate that this is CTE related. Yeah. He played football throughout his youth. My grandfather played football throughout his youth. There's a very good likelihood that this is related to that. Yeah. And that I don't have to worry about that. However, I have lucid moments right now. Yeah. And I can absolutely tell you that even if I were in the position that my father was in five years ago, when he was, you know, still able to get around the house and, you know, have some function and he seems happy now, even in his greatly degenerated state. For myself, I would absolutely want it to end as early as possible. And that's that's because, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that, you know. And a big part of it is watching my mother care for my father and have that relationship for the last decade as they got gradually worse. This game does not deal with that aspect. There is no aspect to this story that is a partner or a family member having to have that experience. I agree with you personally. I have a similar situation where it's unclear, but there may be a family link of dementia, may be a thing. And as someone that already has very poor memory and stresses a lot about my poor memory, I would probably agree with you on a personal level about my not wanting to live through an experience years of my own mental decline. The thing about it is that while that is very reasonable on a personal perspective, I really dislike it as a way to end a narrative because it rings true to a lot of... I don't know how much of this is my own baggage, but there is a lot of media that has disabled people as the focus of a narrative and it's somewhat of a trope to have oh, the best thing that could happen to a person with a mental disability is that they die. Certainly. And it is the execution of it here in the way that it feels rushed and that I can't help but think about the fact that this was primarily created by creators who themselves are not living with dementia. But I also do... I. I... I want to know more about the developer before I get too into that, too, because I people do have direct experience with it. And this is the sort of thing that I could see. Now, not to say that it's handled yeah. well here in this particular example, but I could see coming to that, having that, you know, indirect experience of being close to someone who has struggled yeah. with it, be it a sibling or parent or something like that, and doing a bad job of conveying why that feeling exists. Yeah, like, I can completely understand the perspective of, let's say, I have been close to someone with dementia, 
And watching that has made me realise that I would never want to live with that. And if that happened to me, I would want to die. But that feels like a different thing from... It would feel different if this was a story being made by someone who was at that point in their own life or something. I don't know. It... I just don't know. In this particular instance, that it's fascinating because it is so it's so difficult to do that, and you can only because at what point are you even capable of making this product in that condition? Which is fascinating <laughs> to even consider. Indeed, indeed, and that's that's the thing. This is not a poorly made game, and this is not a judgment on that game. Mm-hmm. It is a personal subjective take on a narrative. Yeah, and. For me, it felt alarm bellsy. It felt like there was something about it that felt very uncomfortable, and who knows how much of that is my own baggage and how much is not. It is certainly not going to be a game for everyone. Uh, this is one that I I have seen a lot of very positive reviews for, and I I understand that other people have different perspectives on. But yeah, I played it, and I thought that most of it was handled incredibly well, even at its most you know, dark and and difficult, the ending just rubbed me the wrong way. (laughs) I don't know. It's a difficult game to discuss. Sure. But I would say I still think it was worth playing. Like, I think the vast majority of it was very tastefully, powerfully written in terms of giving an insight into an experience. It is a fascinating game. But that that is my own my own take on something that people are going to have very personal feelings about. Well, it definitely does sound interesting, but yeah, I'm yeah, <laughs> I'm probably good. That's fair. What about you both? What have you played this week? So I played Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, a classic. Yeah, not to change the mood. Please change the mood. No change of the mood. I could do with a changed mood. Let's go from that to Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. I didn't speak up during. I wasn't too comfortable speaking just for the listener. Yeah. From a personal perspective with that discussion, I wasn't going quiet on purpose. Um, just let them... Well, I was, anyway. That's okay. There was a very good discussion, though. I was just absorbing it. But, yeah, uh, instead of doing something like that, I played a game where you punch dinosaurs. How about that? I've still been playing on the machine. I've still been playing on my machine that's full of games. Um, some of which, actually, quite a few of which are unplayable on it. The buttons aren't recognising it, so I'm going to have to learn how to do things on it now. One of the reasons I liked it was I didn't have to lift a finger to fill it full of games, because I can't do simple tasks, folks. I mean, simple tasks are far from simple. Yeah, so I played a lot of shoot maps, which was good considering the big game I played this week, but I played a lot of shoot maps, played yeah. lots of Darius. I like Darius, because the enemy's a big fish. The enemies are metal fishes. That's good. All right? That is good. Yeah, and I like playing the emulated arcade games. Um, not that they're emulated wink, whatever. Because you can just keep hitting select to put coins in. Because um, that's always the thing with those games, isn't it? It's like they were designed to be as playable as you were rich. Yeah. Well, yeah, they were designed to have you put another quarter in every three minutes. So when you don't have money, it's like I'm enjoying it, but at the same time thinking this is arbitrary. (laughs) So it's always a bit of a thing. I like Cadillacs and Dinosaurs because compared to a lot of um, beat-em-ups and shooters and all of those arcade games, it's actually really quite fair. It's, It's quite balanced. So you can get through levels and that without constantly being pummeled into the dirt some of them are just 
fucking awful. So yeah, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs is probably my favourite of the brawlers I played. It's fun, you do the usual throwing things around. You can throw people into walls and they smack it and that's fun. There was another one, I can't remember the, the first part of the name, but it was called The Detective Story. It was something, A Detective Story. Also a brawler. And you can throw people like into the background walls and windows and stuff, shatters and pickups come out of them. That was pretty cool. 99.8% of brawlers in the 80s and 90s were all about men saving women. Was it called 64th Street, a detective story? Yes. Yes. I think that was about men saving women as well. Almost all of them are. Like, it's shocking. Double Dragon set the mold. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, you. I remember it from Double Dragon. I remember it from some games I can't remember because that's how my brain works. But I'm playing these and I'm like, Jesus Christ. It's literally all of them save for a couple like a few outliers cadillacs and dinosaurs i think being one of them i think it really is just about stopping a man doing dinosaur shit and one level where you're actually in the cadillac which is a shame there should have been more because it's literally just driving the cadillac up and down smacking into people and then you fight more dinosaurs so that's pretty good i'll save the other really good one i played for another bit so yeah so Cadillacs and dinosaurs, if you want an arcade beat-em-up, that's a good one. And 64th Street, a detective story to a lesser degree. Should I get another quick one? I'll play it out of the way. Yeah, get another quick one in. So I played new Pokemon Snap this week. Mm. I have very little to say about that other than it's more Pokemon Snap, and that's very wholesome and charming. I... Wanted to, I, I always wanted to play the first one, never got round Same. to it. Yeah. I was going to play it on Wii U, but it came out like literally just before the Switch came out. And I was like, well, fuck that. I won't have that bloody Wii U plugged in now. So, yeah, for anyone who's never played a Pokemon Snap, who this might be their first one, um, the structure is basically that you are on rails in a little vehicle that moves through environments at a set pace. And... You have a limited number of ways to interact with Pokemon and the environment. You've got a little scan you can do, and that makes a noise, and that might alert them. You can play some music. You can throw apples at them. I saw Kimberly Spirit slash KTV do that. My best friend in wrestling. Um, <laughs> she was streaming it. Katie yeah. underscore V on Twitter. On Twitch. Plug her as well. Least I could do. Yeah. After everything. But yeah, I saw the apples. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can either sort of throw them at a Pokemon's feet to sort of get their attention and pull them over, or you can throw them into their face to piss them <laughs> off. Do it. You got magic light balls that you can use to make plants glow that might do things. And basically, Try and work out how to get the best possible photos of all the Pokemon that are around. They rate them in two different ways. There is the rarity of the pose, uh, and then the quality of the photo itself, which is measured by things like how centred is the Pokemon in the frame, how much of the frame do they take up, are they facing the camera properly, things like that. I've not quite seen enough of either game. Like, I've as interested as I've been, I've seen, you know, footage and, yeah. and streams. Is it the same, like, Pokemon positioning and, like, every time you do a level? So here's how it basically works. Let's say uh, the starting area is sort of like a field and goes past a river and ends up in a flower meadow. Mm -hmm. You will start that area at level one and you will have a set collection of Pokemon that will appear in set locations. And you'll go through that a couple of times working out like, oh, there was a Pokemon there I didn't manage to get a good picture of, I'll go back through, I'll try and get it again. 
it's only a few minutes long to do each route and you're not expected to redo them with no changes more than a couple of times. Basically, you get points for the photos you take, which level you up and will eventually level up that area. Once that area reaches level two, you'll get new Pokemon added, Pokemon that were already there will now appear in different locations doing different things that require different ways to interact with them. It'll basically be, here's the same core area, but we varied it, do it a few more times, try and get the good photos from there. Okay, you've leveled up again, we've changed it again. So you'll see the same areas a lot, but there will be variation in what you're doing in them. They then will layer it with things like, hey, do you want to play it on nighttime mode? And a completely different selection of Pokemon will be there at night. It's lots of clever reshuffling of a single location. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like it is not the longest game in the world to to get through. And, you know, there will occasionally be things like you'll take a photo that you think is great and the game will occasionally just think it's dog shit for no reason. You know, it, it, it's a compute it's a video game trying to assess the quality of photography. Yeah. It's like 95% of the time it's pretty spot on with it. it's like, yeah, that's a good picture. Occasionally, like I've had some some real fucking terrible photos that the game's been like, mwah, chef's kiss, best thing I've ever scene. Uh, Those are very rare occurrences. They are not the norm. Honestly, it's just a very chill time looking at Pokemon, getting nice pictures. There's a Pokemon that's a pufferfish and I threw an apple at it and I managed to hit it and then it puffed up real big and looks very angry at me and I managed to get a really good photo of that. Brilliant. There's a forest full of mushrooms and I managed to make all the mushrooms glow and get a photo just as they were waking up. (gasps) Is Ekans in it? I know Arbox in it, which presumably means Ekans is in it, I would guess. I've not seen Ekans yet, but I assume if Arbox there, then Ekans is probably there. I asked Kate, it's the first thing I ask anyone with any new Pokemon thing, of course, but I knew of the Arbok as a result. Trust me, if I'd seen an Ekans, I would have let you know. Hell yeah, do let me know if you see one. I'm rationing my time with it because I know it's not a super lengthy game. I have yeah. not seen the end of it yet. Arbok's good. I mean, Arbok is, you know, Ekans bigger. Yeah. So, and and it yells Charbuck in the animal. Yeah. So that is all good. Yeah, there's a good one having a sleep in a tree. Yeah. You can disturb its nap if you like. Oh, I might get it to disturb the snake's nap. Yeah. There's not really much else to say about it. Do you, do you like the thought of just on rails taking nice little wholesome photos of Pokemon? See, I always have liked the idea of it. I've just never played it. Yeah. <laughs> I like the photos in Dead Rising and stuff. I like little photo games. The controls are nice. It's basically you've got your face buttons on the controller, your A, B, X and Y are for your various ways you can interact with Pokemon. And other than that, it's just point the camera and click the photo button. Nice. Maybe zoom in if you like. I want Pokemon Fatal Snap, (laughs) where it's Fatal Frame and Pokemon, and it's like Ghost. Oh, it's Gengars and shit. And you've got to take photos to kill them. There is one thing about this game I haven't mentioned that I think is really nice. Yeah. So when you take your photos, you get rated on the photo as it was when you took it. That, That, you know... You, you, you can't cheese out a good rating. But afterwards, when you're saving your pictures and picking which ones you want to save on the Switch for, for later, if you want to social media them or whatever, you can go back in and slightly retake the shot. Ooh. You can't move where you were on the track, but you can look left, right, up and down. You can zoom in or zoom out if you were too zoomed. I forgot it saved stuff like that. Yeah, you can fix your focal length. I usually have to see a doctor to fix my focal length. <laughs> It, 
it's basically if you got like that picture was amazing but i missed the top of the pokemon's head ever so slightly and it's really bugging me you can just go in and be like let's just let's just nudge the camera slightly up yeah there we go which i have appreciated very much i realized that i'm despite trying to be euphemistic i do see a doctor to fix my focal length (laughs) literally (laughs) sorry just hit me no no Yeah, that's that's new Pokemon Snap. It's yeah. more Pokemon Snap. It's a wholesome little time. I might get it. It's, it's good. Conrad, what have you been playing? I'm still playing Undermine. Yeah? Yeah, and I... Uh... <sighs> well, first, so I had a really, really good run, like a really good one, because I unlocked the item that grants you a blessing every time you get rid of a curse. <laughs> yeah. It was a really, really good run. And then I got golden powder on my bombs mm-hmm. and fucked up my pilfer affinity. Oops. You fucked up your pilfer affinity. I will explain this in just a moment. Yeah. Because you get a random blessing every time you get a blessing, I got a lot of blessings that expanded the size of my bomb's explosion. I usually have to see a doctor to do that. And summon it every time you drop a gold bomb, it summons a pilfer. Oh. And when you get the bomb, I oh, I heard your joke. Oh. Uh, every time the bomb, <laughs> you know, by the time the bomb is like half the size of a room, it's basically impossible for that pilfer not to pop up directly in the blast radius and die. So that's what wound up happening. Now, let me explain why this is significant. There is a challenge in the game where you pay an exorbitant amount of money, um, 100,000 gold, and you receive something called Pilfer Favor, I think it's called. And this is a blessing or relic, I don't even, I'm not not sure how it's defined in game terms, that you have to carry with you through to the end of a bonus area that is unlocked by having spent the 100,000. Mm-hmm. It is an especially difficult area. It's a lot of, you know, high challenge thing. And if at any point you kill a pilfer, you lose the pilfer affinity and are therefore unable to fully complete the run. Okay. Pilfers, in case this is all Greek to you, are the little slime guys that appear anytime gold is in the room. Yeah. And they run towards the gold and try to pick it up and carry it out of the room. So there's a lot of circumstances where they will just crop up maybe in the middle of a fight because some enemies will disrupt things that produce gold. Or maybe you'll accidentally hit a gold-bearing object and it sprouts it into the environment. And so now you have to avoid accidentally killing the pilfers while you are dealing with the enemy threats around you. And it's pretty challenging. And it's something that you can only really attempt when you're rich. And it's got me thinking. (laughs) Just about video games? (laughs) Yes, just about video games. Okay, sure. Because it occurs to me that here I have been going through this environment this whole time on many, many loops. And every time that there is money available, I am placed into competition with all of these other creatures for that money. Mm -hmm. We all clearly need it. They are driven to risk life to attain it. Mm Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, it's no longer really useful to me. And I just keep accumulating more and more and more. (laughs) And yet, it is very, very difficult for me to continue to proceed through this life without killing those people along the way. Whether through accident or just an inability to resist the urge to accumulate. I don't know. I just thought it was funny. 
Yeah, yeah, just a callous chasing of wealth. Um, yeah. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Going, yeah so the, the uh, Undermine's a pretty good game, I guess. Yeah. Complete side distraction with just a fact I learned that I want to share. You know, uh, the source code for Mario 64 uh, leaked a while back during that big Nintendo thing. Sure. And they made, like, PC ports of Mario 64 pretty quick. You can now play Mario 64 with ray tracing on PC, and it looks, like, weirdly... <laughs> it, it looks nice! They fucking ray traced Mario 64. <laughs> Nintendo fucking released that shit last year, like just a, a now a worse version. I'm looking at this Mario 64 PC footage and being like, "Hey Nintendo, would have been real nice for the Switch port to look like this, huh?" Uh. Uh, I love it. It's not, and it's not just that Nintendo has the inferior product out the market, but like all of this effort and energy is going into ray tracing, and it's the big thing. And what the fuck is it getting used for to best effect? A fucking Super Mario sixty four. This is the greatest timeline. It looks good though. This timeline (laughs) is great. Oh, do you want me to send you the ray tracing footage in Zoom? In the Zoom chat. Okay, okay. Jesus fucking Christ. That looks amazing. It looks pretty good, doesn't it? Why wasn't the Mario 64 they sold for money looking like this? Because this looks better than that one, right? Yeah. The the one that they sold for money is on that little handheld I have and runs perfectly. Yeah. This wouldn't run perfectly on that. This is good. Yeah. This looks like it's worth money in this day and age. Mario 64 on PC is... is- Getting good. Fucking hell. I played Returnal. I know you did as well, Laura. I did as well. Tell me about Returnal. It's good. It's pretty good. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Housemark did it. You know, they did that Reza Gun. They did that, uh, you know, Super Stardust, all of that. And that's evident in this. This is interesting, I think, as a game. It's a roguelite. You know, one of those got your permadeath and you're somewhat randomised runs. You get some upgrades that can stay. And it's also a bullet hell game. Yeah, it's a bullet hell third-person shooter with, like, quite impressive, like, technical visual stuff going on. But it's also a roguelike. Considering games of this budget and sort of graphical level are usually neither of those things. Yeah. The fact it's a very nice-looking next-gen. Yeah. uh, Well, current-gen. Well, still next-gen. Most people don't fucking have it. Yeah. Like, third-person game in that way. Yeah, yeah. I'm more used to my roguelites being being a lot smaller and and more retro-graphics or hand-drawn like Hades. I like this, though. I I like seeing a big-budget take like this, and this is a good one, I think. It is a good one. It is a good one. The, uh... The bullet hell stuff is fun. It's it's mm. it can be quite challenging, but dodging around and everything is. There's a little Hades com- comparison you can have with the sheer speed with which you can get around and dodge. You've got very Hades like maneuverability abilities. Yeah. You sort of your jump and your dash feel very similar. Yeah, you're mostly shooting, but if you're near enough to enemies, dashing and hitting them with the one hit melee attack you have is is real nice. Mm. Um, you do only get one slash before you have to like. There's no combo boeing with it but usually you don't need to it's normally for breaking shields or it can one hit kill certain like small pry enemies but yeah it's it's cool i don't love it but i like it a lot i'm in a similar position i'm not like ah everyone has to go out and play this right now but like if you've got a ps5 
Go fucking play this. It's good. It's real good. It's worth looking into at least. Yeah. There's a lot of little quality of life things in this I am appreciating. That nice fast uh, hard drive means that like, oh, you get right back into the action straight after death, which I always appreciate. Oh yeah, there's a small skippable cutscene between deaths. Yeah. It's not it bad is, at all. It is very quick to get back in. I like that when you are exploring, the minimap has very clearly labelled this is a side path where you might go get something useful to you. This is the progression door. And I know that that's not typically how this genre does, but I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. I was able to make more educated uh, assessments of where I should go. It plays nice. It moves at such a speed and such a glide that it can sometimes be a little bit finicky near edges. (laughs) Um, Sometimes it moves a little too fast for my brain to register where I am spatially, but not massively. I've walked backwards off a cliff more times than I care to admit. Having having these death drops, well, they're not death drops, but you will lose health. You'll lose a a sizable enough chunk of health that it's a problem. Yeah, a decent amount. But when you are running and gunning and trying to concentrate on dodging bullets, it can get a bit irritating to fall. Um, For the most part, though, I... I find it very gratifying to, when when I'm nailing it, you know, when I'm yes. dodging out of all the bullets, when the turrets are popping up and I'm ducking and weaving through the fire and slashing them one by one. Yeah. Like, it's very cool. I like that you start every run with a slightly randomised variation on your starting weapon. Yeah, the, the weapon, like, various stats on that are interesting, like, overall. It's mainly the, the alt fire that is typically different when you start a run, but yeah. I, I like that, like... You you're not always starting with exactly the same loadout. Yeah, those alt fires are really cool too. Oh, the electric alt fire is my favourite. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. This is my first game that I think I've played that does the thing where uh, with with the PS5 controller, where to do your regular fire, you sort of half press the the button until it reaches its first resistance point, and then you click it past there to do the alt fire. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I feel like I'd have liked that the other way round, like to iron sight properly pull it all the way because mm. a game this tense I, I find it or intense I find I would find it a little more intuitive to press all the way down to fire and then press more lightly because there's a little more thought in that for the alt fire I can see that I can see that but like yeah I it took a little getting used to but I kind of dug it I, I like the use of it for sure and now and I'm used yeah. to it now I think I just be a little more used to it yeah but it's it's a cool use you know it, it's one of the things that annoy me about not having enough compelling ps5 games to play is that controller is really fun to use yeah it's one of the first uses of that i've seen where it's not just a this feels cool gimmick but it's oh you functionally gave like yeah. managed to fit more functions on the controller by doing this that movie rumble in the controller gives you this sort <gasps> oh, of yeah little like like uh, hard to describe it, but the environment is very sort of in feels invasive. There's lots of tentacles sort of reaching out to you, and and that sort of feels evident in the controller. There's like little pitter patters you feel in your hands. Oh, when the when when the rain's happening and you can feel the rain sort of pittering on the controller, and uh, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, one mechanical thing about this I enjoyed the way that they handled the cursed items or the cursed artifact system. Oh yeah, yeah. So you know you've got these in a lot of games. These sort of Hey, here's an item, you can have it, but it's going to come with a drawback. Uh, Hades had it with the chaos rooms where for a certain number of rooms you'd have to deal with a negative consequence. Uh, This is kind of similar, but the difference is, is that 
before you pick up any of these purple glowing items, you are given a probability chance of whether or not it will inflict a curse upon you, and it'll be low, medium, high, extremely high, and you're not guaranteed to get a negative outcome. There are very few feelings as good in this game as picking up something that says it's extremely likely to give you a curse and it doesn't give you a curse. And Oh, yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. That's like, It feels like theft. Yeah. And I, I like how they balance the sort of punishments you've got for that. Like, hey, you cannot have more than three of these or it's going to fuck you up. Yeah. So, you know, stop taking the curse shit if you get too many. I like the challenges to get rid of them are things you will typically be doing in gameplay anyway. Yeah, they're not too bad. You know, kill certain amount of enemies, open a chest. You Pick know. up this much currency. Yeah. The parasites are a, a fun thing as well in that regard. Oh, the risk yeah. reward of those where you can... The game loves tentacles, so you can just have some tentacle... Like, bug just jump on you and it'll give you uh, a benefit and a penalty. That protagonist loves to just slap stuff on her. She doesn't know what it's going to do. She's worse than the crew of the Prometheus. It's just, <laughs> what can I stick my arm and face into? <laughs> what can I just plug into my suit and hope it's yeah. good? I love that she's like conscious enough to keep a helmet on, unlike the Prometheus crew. But like that's it as far as anything else. It's a hole with big metal fingers, is it? You splup. <laughs> what happens if I what happens if I fist it? Oh, oh dear. The Resident is a good game. It's a good game. The bosses need less health. It's not about challenge. It's just too boring after halfway through. I wish there was there was an auto save even if it was just like Hey, it saves when you enter a new room. You don't. You can't roll back to previous saves. Yeah, just something. Something to prevent the the use case of yeah. oh, I had the game in rest mode and it decided to do an auto update and now I've lost my run. The game has like save rooms for runs, yeah. but they don't save runs. They say only save it while you're still playing and you die. Um, they could have worked just fine. Yeah, they've had to reach a point where Housemark put out a statement, uh, I believe today when we're recording, saying, hey, we are doing an update to Returnal. Please make sure you don't have auto-update turned yeah. on in case you lose your run you're currently on. And at the time of talking, they have no plans to address that. And one of the major issues with this game, it's happened to me once, Yeah, and I know it's happened to other people more than that, the game fucking crashes. Yeah, it's having no saves mid-run on a game with lengthy runs... That could last hours. Yeah, is more forgivable if you're very confident your game doesn't crash. Mm -hmm. But this game crashes too frequently to be able to trust that. Which is bad. Deadly combo. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, I wasn't too far into a run when my one crashed, but... I lost a run nearly two hours in. That's fucked up. That, that yeah. is fucked up. It made me not want to play. <laughs> yeah. I've seen some of the get-gooders, like, try and make even this about difficulty and casuals. It's about the player's time being respected. If someone spent two hours on a game and it crashes and there's no way to recover it because... Because of a frankly bizarre design decision. That's disrespectful, and it is bizarre. There's no need for this. There are other games that can stop you cheesing it while not losing hours of your life. Yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah. Otherwise, it's really good. Otherwise, it is really good. It's a tough one, but it's it's enjoyable. I've had a good time. Yeah, it's it's been a it's been the kind of challenge I enjoy. It's yeah. it's it feels very fair. Agreed. I've never blamed the game yeah. for me 
screwing up. And the game does give you like good opportunities to heal yourself. And if you, it's one of those games where if you get lucky, you can get a pretty fucking good build that can help you out quite a bit. Like, you can double that health bar at least. I think you can even triple it, Mm. but you can definitely double it. Um, there was a run I had where it was doubled and I was, when the adrenaline is up, like if you do enough kills, your adrenaline goes up and you get various upgrades for that. And I had an augment that healed me every time I attacked per level of that. So max that out and I'm getting health back pretty good. Yeah. And, you know, I had all sorts of things to help me heal up and protect myself. And that was pretty good. But then I fought the second boss and it's just got so much health. I did not, I just didn't. I, I so far am not winning that war of attrition, and it does feel like attrition halfway through. I have had more fun in the levels themselves than I have with either of the bosses Absolutely. I've currently defeated. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'm not fond of the bosses. I wish the enemy designs were a bit less here are some tentacles blodges. Like, I wasn't that inspired by the prey enemies, and they were similar. Plus, the, the more humanoid enemies just have have that look I've seen in so many games. This faceless sort of fleshy look with a sort of crested head. I've seen that shit in loads of stuff. The bullet patterns are pretty. I'll say that. They're very nicely designed. Yeah, yeah. All of the particle effects are lovely. Reminds me a little bit of Nier in that regard. Um, Nier Ultimatus certainly had a lot of that kind of stuff going on. Um, So yeah, yeah, I do think it's good. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing I started playing is I started playing an indie game called Disc Creatures, which is very, very clearly trying to be a knockoff of the Game Boy era Pokemon games. I This looked very interesting. I had a lot of problems with it. First of all, the game starts with like 20 minutes of text-based tutorials before you ever get to see a Pokemon, which is not ideal. The game wants to have way too many mechanics and it feels the need to tell you every single one of them right up front. And the problem is, is that even after all that, I didn't understand some of the mechanics going on. This game has a major issue with being able to understand what it's trying to communicate to you at any time. This game has mechanics like Pokemon where different attacks will have different elements. Some of them are normal, some of them are special attacks that will make use of the element of the Pokemon. I couldn't tell in combat menus whether an attack was like a physical attack or a special elemental attack. I couldn't work that that sort of stuff out. It was trying to do some interesting things to set it apart from Pokemon. You have teams of three creatures which all battle all at once in your battles, so all battles are three-on-three battles. Rather than having energy per move that is used up and when it's gone, it's gone, um, you have a a pool of energy per Pokemon and different moves take different amounts of it up. And if it runs out, you can refill that energy meter mid battle, but that Pokemon not only can't attack that turn, but it is at considerable extra risk because that turn, if anything attacks it, it'll take double damage, which is an interesting mechanic. If there was some way to protect that Pokemon, like if from the start of the game, I'd had like, you know, some defensive moves that were like, Okay, well that Pokemon's he uh, is is filling up its energy, so I'll uh, set this Pokemon to defend them so that they you know don't take double damage. No, you just have to luck out and hope that the AI doesn't go and attack the very clear big target that will take double damage, which doesn't seem great. Yeah, and the new Pokemon catching mechanic is 
that you don't you, you don't have a catching mechanic. You just fight the Pokemon on the open world, and you have a randomized chance of whether you get to have it afterwards or not. Oh, but kind of like abilities in, in Castlevania or Bloodstained. Yeah, yeah, like you fight it and the fight ends, and then maybe a pop-up will come up and be like, Oh, you got you got that one, that one's yours now. Cool. They managed to capture the look of the, the Game Boy Pokemon games very well without ripping off assets, and they were clearly trying to differentiate themselves and not just be knockoff Pokemon, but a lot of the changes they've made don't feel good, and the opening is way, 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 way too tutorial-heavy. It is for for a game that then fails to explain some of its mechanics. Yeah. That was a shame. I was looking forward to that. Did either of you play anything else this week? I've got one more I'll quickly bring up, just because it was a highlight of my um, old game playing. Uh, I played a game called Tin Star. Ooh. Oh, I love Tin Star. That's delightful. SNES shooter. Yeah, absolutely enjoyed it. Yeah. I didn't play it with a super scope, obviously, because it's on my little thing. Apparently it's it's really fun with that uh, i can imagine it being so but yeah it's got a really nice art style really nice you're like this robot sheriff and they're all like robot wild west folk and you know it's it's a light gun shooter style thing you can play it with a controller and yeah lots of cartoon robots coming in and you move the reticle and bang bang them dead there's an interesting dueling mechanic between certain levels where it's you first person perspective and the enemy across the way and then a bullet chamber will turn up you gotta shoot that and then shoot the enemy really quick to blow a hole in them and that's fun you know it's not super challenging it's not super lengthy or or anything but of a lot of the the old games i played this week that one was really enjoyable so yeah i'd be tempted to if there's a cheap enough snes and a super scope i'd actually like to play it with that you wouldn't be able to play it with your television oh yeah that's true so you'd have to get, you know, a CRT. Yeah. Fuck, I didn't even think of that. Uh, oh, that's too much effort. Yeah. I'll just play it on my little thing. <laughs> it's good. All right, should we get into the news? Yeah. Conrad, do you want to lead us into this? Because you took all my, my bumbling notes and made them into something coherent. What the fuck? Why would they give me a review code for Resident Evil Village? Don't they know who I am? <sighs> oh, you can get offered a review code. I didn't even have to ask for it. Oh, look at that! Oh, that's nice of them. I've not been offered one. Look at you go. Yeah, nobody gave me one. Oh, I haven't lost it. I've still got the touch. You'll have to tell us next week what the big tall steppy lady's like. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. So right now, this and this is developing. We're currently in day three of the Epic versus Apple lawsuit that has been much anticipated mm. i think as of now there's an xbox representative on the stand yeah so anything from wednesday's uh time in court we don't know anything about really not really no while there's many interesting things to be said about this mm -hmm. yeah and i'm looking forward to it it is embarrassing the whole thing's embarrassing from what i've seen the way they're fucking behaving oh yeah antics it can only be described as antics yeah we will get into some yeah. of the antics there are some antics occurring what an embarrassing industry what's at dispute here is essentially that Epic is arguing that the way Apple's policies are set up for the App Store, specifically as they regard third-party sales platforms, it creates an unfair business environment for the developers 
which limits their ability to profit and to provide more attractive offers to customers. Yep. And Apple's response to that is, why are you picking on us? There are other platforms that do this. Yes. And very specifically, as we'll get to in a bit, like the example they keep coming back to is Sony. You haven't sued Sony and Sony is worse than us is one of their bigger arguments. Yeah. And I mean, for me, that doesn't hold a ton of weight because they're not comparable. And that is an argument that is really kind of... Not compelled by the whataboutism? I'm not. I don't think the comparison works, but I think it is a reasonable argument to make. It is. It is a reasonable argument to make. It's not a ridiculous way to try and argue this point. No. And so part of the discussion that I find interesting is that the judge is trying to determine what is a general purpose device versus what is a specific use device to create this distinction. Right. And they try to pin this down. And this is something that I agree with on some level is that because of the limitations in interface accessibility and frankly, the size of the market, Sony's a specific use thing. Mm -hmm. The PlayStation platform is really specifically geared towards entertainment. Yeah, like the the argument that was made in court on I think day two uh, basically boiled down to would you, if you needed to book a dentist's appointment even if your PlayStation has a web browser, would you expect to use that as a functional device to do that? No, because that's not what this device is for. It is very specifically a single purpose device. Right. Was, was an argument they sort of stuck on a bit. I do agree with that, sort of fundamentally. Uh, I don't know if the judge is going to wind up agreeing with that in the end, but I think that that's a pretty compelling argument that those are different things. The sheer scale and effect on lives, individual lives, that the App Store is something that I'd like to see. The App Store has sort of yeah. sway over and Apple's access to personal information and things like that as a result. That's something that I'd really like to see more assessment of, because that, I think, in a lot of ways, draws a clear distinction between how these platforms operate and, and their meaning and, and relevance to our lives. iPhone just affects so many more people. And it is one of those situations where once you're in the ecosystem, it's hard to get out. And Apple will say, well, you know, it's it's a security issue. And they've done a very, very good job. Apple it fascinates me hmm. as a company because the fear of security is usually a propagandistic tool reserved for the state. That's not something a company typically has that kind of power in terms of their ability to leverage consumer support. Mm -hmm. Apple does. And that should terrify everyone, mm. frankly, viewed from that perspective, to think that Apple holds that kind of sway over people should be troubling. Mm. So these are these are issues I'd like to see raised. <laughs> um, yeah, we will see where this goes. <laughs> we'll see where it goes. A big thing that that is sort of interesting that's come out of it specifically is how Epic is essentially acknowledging that they want to make impulse buys. Yes. Yeah. Yep. This is the bit where my eyebrows raise. Yeah. So there is some coverage that has been people basically live tweeting the Dextriarchy on Twitter. Yeah, the Dextriarchy, A.D. Robertson, who writes for The Verge, and The Verge has been doing yes. some pretty good roundup stuff of each day of it. So I would encourage people to check them out. They've been an invaluable resource into understanding what's been going on. Oh, I, I wouldn't have a clue what was going on. 
without their work. So yeah, I'm going to read some some quotes quickly from that thread regarding the impulse buy situation. Mm -hmm. Epic's lawyer notes that buying V-Bucks through the website is inconvenient. Judge jumps in, asks if Fortnite's user base is mostly young people. Isn't that a responsible way to deal with a young client base? Why should we want them to have the ability to jump on an impulse buy something? Fair question. It's a fair question. Yeah. And Sweeney cops to it. Yeah. They say that consumer convenience is a factor in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're not wrong. It is. It's a huge factor. Well, and I mean, that's paraphrased. So we don't, that's not a specific quote. But it is literally true. It's absolutely true. And there's tons of research to back that up. Yeah. They call it friction. The less friction you put between a customer and a purchase, the more purchases will result. And you can find developers who are on record as saying that. Yeah. And I think it's important to uh, specify the judge's wording of what the judge said that Sweeney agreed to, because Sweeney says, yeah, what you're really asking for is the ability to have impulse purchases. And Sweeney seems to agree that's really what this is about. Mm -hmm. Sweeney wants to be able to have impulse purchases with low friction. The entire industry does. Yeah, it's, yeah, you could use your Safari browser on your iOS device to circumvent those additional Apple charges, Mm -hmm. but that would be less impulse purchase-y. I'm so susceptible to impulse buying. It's it's a constant minefield that my brain getting absent-minded, even now, with years of railing against this shit, has still gotten, like, idly suckered into something. And it's so easy. It's like, where it's like a click or two, if I'm not on guard. Even where, you know, you bring up the point of, you know, you can have this external website and, you know, handle your transactions there. But there's another witness that came and took the stand after... Um, Sweeney did. This is the yoga app developer. That's right. This is yeah. a, a yoga app developer. Down Dog is the name of the app. It's made by Yoga Booty. And basically what was revealed in this testimony is that while it is possible to offer a discount through an external website to customers that takes out the premium that is applied through purchasing an app, They can't advertise that in the app on iOS. Yeah. And then sort of the counter argument that's being made to that by Apple is that they argue that is still better than competitors who are not being sued. And this is sort of where the Sony angle comes in a little bit is we'll get into these stories in a bit more in depth later. But the the short version is on Sony's platform, you cannot import V-Bucks that were purchased on other platforms. So on PlayStation, you explicitly don't have the ability to go on your web browser, buy some virtual currency, load up your PlayStation and spend the virtual currency that you just purchased. Right. The the V-Bucks that you use in Fortnite on PlayStation are walled within that garden. Yes, they cannot enter or leave that walled garden. And Apple's defense is, well, you're not suing them for being a walled garden But you're suing us, who at least do allow for people to go to your website and buy things and circumvent our payment. You're suing us, but not them. And that seems to be, at least on day two, the crux of their rebuttal. Well, and and it seems that that policy did change at some point, that Apple ceased allowing that Mm. at some juncture. Although I'd have to look back, and so I don't want to say that with absolute certainty. But at the very least, they're arguing that that shows... You are willing to agree to a situation like that, but you're suing us. 
And that's the equivalence they're trying to leverage is, why are you coming after us? It's... Oh, poor Apple, right? Poor maligned oh, Apple. Oh, poor Apple. I know. Oh, poor Apple. I mean, the implications are considerable in both directions on this case. It's weighty, but it is ultimately about money for these two giants. Yeah. And that's it. Well, yeah, yeah. That's what it all comes down to. They want more. Yeah. And to be fair, this could have implications that could make a difference to smaller developers, but that's not what's being fought over. Right. Like, Epic does not care if this lawsuit will allow that yoga developer to say in his app, hey, you can click on this link and it'll take you to Safari to buy the thing for cheaper. Epic doesn't care about that. They want to make more money for them. Yeah. And Apple wants to keep that money and not give it to them. That's what this is. I'm creeped out by Epic. Yeah. The same way I find Amazon creepy, Mm -hmm. there's this strange... I know corporations aren't people, but there's a strange personality to Epic. Yeah. That's this churlish, overconfident, we will openly fuck you if it gets us ahead attitude. And it comes along with the sort of uh, weird, obsessive fanaticism of the people that want to support them. Again, passing story here. Originally on day one, they had a phone line open that you could call to listen in on the court proceedings. And you weren't supposed to be able to speak back, but apparently they hadn't set it up right. Hmm. And the first like 10 minutes of that call is just teens screaming down the phone, free Fortnite. Fucking hell. Like the, like we talk about the, the reliance of lives with Apple and how like worrying that is. And then the people willingly throwing their identity and soul behind a, a company like Epic because they like a video game. Yeah. And it's, it, this is a classic whoever wins, we lose. I mean, you know, and Apple has its cult. Apple's always had its cult. Oh, for sure, for sure. It's the way Epic nurtures it. Nurturing the most toxic elements of gaming, mm-hmm. which has already had major harassment campaigns in the past. And here we have a company openly, unapologetically still fermenting that kind of resentment for anyone who isn't the gamer. Mm -hmm. It's fucking sick. Uh. And Epic have for years has just downright skeeved me out. And they crunch their developers. Yeah. Unapologetically using the whole no one's forced fucking defense. Fuck them. And fuck Apple. Yeah. Well, okay, so here's a fun story. Yeah? So one of the documents that's come out as a result of this, and a little prematurely, it wasn't supposed to be released now. I think it was supposed to come out later, but it wound up in a bundle of epic stuff that got filed, and then the judge said, fuck it, why reseal it? It's information on how much Epic paid for the games that it made free. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so this is a... Fascinating document. I love this document so much. (laughs) Yeah. Have you had a a chance to look through this, Jim? I've had a look, yes. Yeah. (laughs) For anyone who's not seen this, it's basically nine months or so of here is free game on Epic. Here is how many copies of it we gave away. Here is how much money we paid the developer. Here's how many new Epic accounts we got. Here's roughly what we paid per person who, you know, signed up for an Epic account, and what percentage of those people coming for a a free game are new people coming to Epic? That percentage dropped off real fucking fast. And so, here's my joy Mm. in this document. 
the great crystal of happiness that's at the core of everything here for me. <laughs> yeah. It's just like the happiest thing I've seen. Epic paid three quarters of a million dollars yep. to put Celeste as a free yep. game. Yep. Three quarters yep. of a million dollars. I wish I'd developed Celeste. It was downloaded 2.7 million times. Yeah. It resulted in 62,000 new accounts. Right? Mm -hmm. yeah. 2%. So the the cost for user acquisition to Epic was $12 a user. Yeah. It's almost retail. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would just like to give a round of applause to whomever it is that negotiated the deal with Epic yeah. that so, so thoroughly took them to the cleaners. Yeah. The other one that did really well is Inside. That's at like $11 per new acquisition. Mm. Oh, that was the same week. That was a bad yeah. week for Epic. I mean, it was an expensive week for Epic. Yeah. Uh, if you average out the last nine months, they spent approximately $2.37 per new user they brought to the platform. And you know what makes that amazing? is, you know, they're bringing all these new people in. The question is, how many of those are they converting into, you know, people who are spending money on the service, which might, you know, recoup some of that? Oh, one second. One second. Just getting myself comfy. Yeah, please. You're going to want to settle in for this. I do like this bit. So, of the 104 million downloads of free mm. games they've had, they brought in about 5 million users... 7% of those have ever spent any money on the Epic Store. <laughs> I tell you what, right? Yeah. Fuck them. That's all I've got for that. 7%. People don't want to use that shitty fucking store. Look, I get that they're playing the long game and, you know, customer acquisitions pay off long term. And, and let's be fair, it's also that's still th like over 340,000 people. It is. But that is... It's not, you know, Steam. Yeah. But if you're a Steam competitor in this marketplace, I mean, I have to wonder what the user base of active downloaders from Itch is, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? I mean, this isn't anything to sneeze at. No, it's, it's more the sheer amount. That's the thing. The sheer volume of money. There better be some long-term fucking good in this for them. That's the thing. Itch hasn't spent 11 and a half million on this. Oh, God, no. <laughs> No, exactly. And they're talking about continuing to lose money through 2027, I think, on the the, the store. So This is a long-term plan of we're just going to keep throwing lots of money at trickling in new people. That many years, I mean, a year is a long fucking time in video games. Yeah. Like, anything could happen between now and then. I don't think the numbers are great for them. I don't think they're brilliant. Well, that said, this is merely a dent in the billions and billions of dollars we know that Epic is bringing in from Fortnite. Yeah. I'll say this. I think it speaks to just how determined they were to fuck Steam because like, it was just throw money at this. Mm -hmm. Throw money at this to just like blow our way in, to just drive on into that market and fuck it. Yeah. That's a lot. They're prepared to throw a lot of money into dominating. We also know on a similar note, we know at least one example of how much they've paid for timed exclusivity as compared to the free games they've given away. Borderlands 3 being a six-month PC exclusive cost Epic $146 million. Mm. And I worry that I buy too many boglings. I do. 
literally buy too many Boglins, but I didn't I didn't pay that much for Borderlands 3. <laughs> I got mine for like 60 bucks. <laughs> Epic should have just bought some copies. That's a lot of money. It's it's outrageous. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of money. I tell you what, they could have they could have used that money to hire more staff and crunch less. Apparently, that one was worth it for Epic. Uh, according to the document, they made 100% of that money back uh, within 2 weeks. Did they put that towards like hiring more workers and crunching less? <laughs> Probably fucking not. No, definitely. It sure seems like having an exclusive game that can't otherwise be purchased on PC is a better way of getting people to spend money in your store than just have a thing for free, why not? Well, yeah, because you've got to spend money on the store to get those ones. And there are many people among the game buying public who, despite any stated stances, will throw their entire pride away to play a video game now. Six months is forever. It's a long time. And some people just don't give a fuck and just want the game, you know. Well, and, and you play a game six months after its release, nobody's talking about it. FOMO. It's hard to get excited. Yeah, FOMO is heavily exploited in, in gaming and many other industries. Especially if you're a baby. Particularly so. Mm. Especially if you're a kid. They love to target kids with their, like, economies and stuff like that. They're the most impulsive. What a company like Epic wants to do if it wants to make money is to make it easier to impulse buy. Like, if you're a young... If you're, say, in the, I don't know, target demo for Fortnite, maybe they should try that if they want to make a bit of scratch. Fucking scum. Yeah, I mean, it's only slightly less horrendous than how, like, the Yakuza makes money, right? Well, I mean, it's yeah. just, like, one step removed from the Yakuza. Yeah. Which you apparently can't be if you want to develop for <laughs> Nintendo. <laughs> then why is Konami <laughs> putting games on there? Allegedly. <laughs> well, you, you, merely, you merely have to assert that you're not associated with the Yakuza. Oh. I'm sure Nintendo's not yeah. looking too deep into it. No, no. I assume this is why we will never get ports of the Yakuza series to the <laughs> Switch. <laughs> Sega has outright said, oh yeah, we, we've talked to people in the Yakuza to help like learn how to make these games, which I guess is a big no-no for Nintendo. No, Nintendo wants to keep its... either wants to keep its nose clean or is run by Yakuza that doesn't want any other families getting involved. <laughs> Allegedly. Oh... <laughs> uh, yeah, this is one of the just like little things that came out of this court case. I mean, everything we've talked about here has been something that's come out of this damn lawsuit, and there's going to be more. Oh, absolutely. That'll be the best part of this whole charade, will be like learning some shit. Yeah. Yeah, there's one other thing, and we kind of touched on it vaguely, I think, in our earlier discussion, but it seems that Sony's sort of slow acquiescence to the demand for crossplay did come with some financial strings attached to those that they allowed in. The implications they were making at the time of, oh, it's not as simple as uh, just flicking a switch. They wanted that to sound like there was a technical limitation, and it seems like the limitation might have been, we want you to pay us. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> It was money. We don't want to just, like, let you play with your friends. We want money. It's money. Yeah. Cue the astronaut saying always fucking has been. So this story is interesting in that, like, 
There's a lot of emails you can go read if you want to read about it of the back and forth between these two companies. It is fascinating reading, like, epic, trying to be like the, the cool kids, like, oh, it's inevitable that crossplay is going to happen. You know, you're just going to be behind the times, Sony. Get with the plan. And Sony's just there like, yeah, but, mo- but money. <laughs> They're all Harlan Ellison on the other side. Fuck you, pay me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my understanding of this is that the agreement that was reached with epic and it seems like this might have also been applied to other developers was if you want to have crossplay with PlayStation you need to make sure that there's not more than an 85% disparity between where someone is spending their time and the percentage of their money they're spending basically what sony doesn't want to happen is Oh, this player has played 60 hours of uh, Fortnite on PlayStation, only 10 hours on the Switch, but they spent all their money on the Switch. That's not fair, we didn't get that money. Therefore, you owe us compensation, because the player (laughs) spent most of their time playing on PlayStation, but didn't spend their money there, so compensate us. Fuck everything and everyone. Yeah. Fuck us all, me too, for all of us just allowing. Yeah. Just allowing what we have as a civilization. And fuck all our ancestors too, because this shit ain't new. All of this has been going on, this exploitation and this hierarchy and this corporatism, even before corporations were a thing. I've been I was doing reaping on, on history times. Like I earlier last year I had a brief fascination with Georgian period history. And it was the same shit. It was just the lords and shit doing the same corporate fuck you pay me shit that Sony does now. So, yeah, the the thing that this makes interesting in hindsight is when you look at the way that PlayStation rolled out crossplay and that they were very specifically like, hey, we're bringing crossplay to select very popular titles. And at the time it was like, oh, were you having to work on it on a game-by-game basis to make it functionally run? Mm, it sure seems like it probably was who's willing to pay to get crossplay. Yep. So, yeah, that's an interesting bit of insight into how that all went down. Mm. I'll say this, right? At least they're fleecing the fuck out of each other with pay-to-play bullshit as well as us. Is that a comfort? <laughs> well, <laughs> no. But, I mean, it, share the misery. <laughs> I, I don't think it's equal. No, it's, I think they still have shit tons of money. It's a bit like taxes that <laughs> a lot of these companies don't fucking even pay. <sighs> it's comparatively nothing and they still don't want to pay it. Fucking hell. Well, now Microsoft is going to take less money from some of the companies. Uh, mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So this this story like had a good news and then it seemed like an even better news and then the better news went away. Yeah, so on PC, the the Microsoft store that no one uses to buy PC games, Microsoft is dropping their cut of money that they take from developers down to 12%. I'm sure that'll drive sales. It's an improvement, <laughs> but I I agree, I don't think it's going to be the thing that gets everyone rushing to that platform. The thing is, because nobody buys games at the Windows Store, this costs Microsoft nothing to do. Yeah. But contribute yeah to the general rebel sense of fucking steam. So yeah. it's a it's really win-win all around there. And the reason that you you can tell that this is a marketing move and not something that they think's actually going to have an impact is that there was a leaked document from a couple of months ago that suggested this was going to happen and also suggested that the Microsoft store on Xbox was going to see that drop down to 12%, which whoa. 
Now we're talking. Mm. That's a big serious move. That's juicy. Show me the money. So when this 12% drop happened on PC, understandably reporters were like, hey, Microsoft, is this also happening on Xbox? And Microsoft's answer boils down to fuck no. (laughs) Oh, God. You know what? It's no wonder I don't want to talk about video games. Right? Yeah. It's no wonder I avoid it so I can talk about novelty fucking singlets or, ooh, I've spilt Red Bull on myself. I'm Stephanie Sticky Tits. (laughs) I'd rather talk about being Stephanie Sticky Tits than talk about what these fucking monsters get up to. Wouldn't we all? But six and a half years ago, you did make a Faustian pact with me and now we are trapped in the video game dimension. We are, yeah. This is your fault for for sealing the contract that said this will be a show that will talk about video games and oops, we're trapped in in the video game zone now. I was I was (laughs) I was on the devil end of it. I'm the one with your soul. And yet I somehow got fucked. (laughs) (laughs) That's just how these things go sometimes. I've got a lantern button. You got reverse Fausted. (laughs) Yeah, I got sueft. <laughs> Should we round through some of the other stories? We got some other stories yeah. this week. So stories are, it's a big week for shit to talk about. Yeah, let's hurry the fuck up. I want a sandwich. <laughs> Sorry. I, was, I really, I was doing a joke. That sounded so rude. All right. So since we were on the topic of Xbox, they're going to change the frame rate cap on backwards compatible titles on Xbox now. Oh. That's just like a nice... That's a nice thing. ...user friendly thing that's happening. Uh, Like this week alone, they've added like 70 or 80 backwards compatible games that were previously locked to 30 frames a second and can now do 60 or previously were 60 and now do 120. This sounds like a great deal. I want to buy an Xbox Series X. (laughs) What the fuck's going on? So yeah, that's that's not a... a, yeah. 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 That's, that's just a thing that happened. As a quick story over on Bloomberg, a director from CD Projekt Red who worked on uh, as a director on The Witcher 3 has resigned from the company. The short version is he was accused of bullying colleagues and there was an investigation and the investigation found no evidence of wrongdoing and then he stepped down and apologised for causing people to feel fear, stress and discomfort and causing bad blood. Oh, it's just, I was told that shit didn't happen at CD Projekt Red. I I was told specifically everyone was happy there. Yeah, so this is not, definitely not someone being fired for, for bullying. This is someone quitting of their own accord after an investigation because they made people feel fear, stress and discomfort when working with him and caused a lot of bad blood. Uh. I'm going to give this possible PR narrative yeah. the benefit of the doubt for a moment yeah, and say that if this is in fact true, good for them. Yeah. I'm glad that they realized that they were in what would be an unhealthy work environment, both for themselves and the other people working under them. I wish them the best of luck in finding new employment, and I hope that they take lessons away from their prior job that prevent this sort of situation from happening in the future. 
there. Maybe don't put him in charge of a team. I will, however, continue to read quotes from him that all sound like he thinks he did something. I'm going to continue working on myself. Changing behaviour is a long and arduous process, but I'm not giving up and I hope to change. Yeah. You didn't do anything wrong, though. You just you just want to work on the long and arduous process of changing and becoming a better person for no connected reason. Do you think he had more of a change of heart than CD Projekt Red, who were like, oh, there's nothing wrong here, and the actual abusive one was like, no, there is. That's exactly it. The company said, no, nothing to see here, nothing's wrong here. And this person seemingly looked at the situation and said, no, clearly something's wrong. Clearly I did something to cause this problem. I really hope that that is accurate, that this is a case of someone going... Wait, the fact that all these people had all these complaints about me, you shouldn't be finding that nothing went wrong. Yeah. There's also, a, you know, there's a chance it could just be them saying, look, we've got ourselves in the clear, but you are going to have to fuck off. And maybe that's maybe that's what happened. That could always be a thing. That's possible. We may not, like, ever know the actual, but I think it is important to know that there was a hostile environment in yes. that place. Yeah. There was a hostile um, especially involvement. Especially because I've been told by people closer to the trenches that stuff is shit there, and then I've been told by people not so close to the trenches that, oh, no, folks are happy here. So, yeah. Mm. So, yeah, but that's what I think is interesting about this as a PR narrative is that there's no way to spin this that doesn't acknowledge a hostile work environment was present in spite of the findings. Yes. Yeah. Which suggests maybe that their investigatory team is not doing a great job. And maybe, you know, with CDPR management years ago even, like going on record as, oh, well, if you can't take the heat, stay out the kitchen, more or less. Like, it doesn't seem like it's 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 a company whose leadership takes the well-being of employees seriously, especially with all of those, you know, glass door reviews and everything about the company, the stuff people have told me, the stuff people have told other reporters, and this... You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A couple of other quick stories. There were stories floating around a couple of weeks ago that Microsoft was preparing to purchase Discord. That eventually got denied, and they were like, nope, nope, we're not buying Discord, it's not happening. And it seems like we maybe now know why. Sony has made a financial investment in Discord. They've not purchased the entire company, but basically they have invested a lot of money in Discord, and the agreement seems to be put Discord on PlayStation so people can do Discord chats through their PlayStation while they game, and don't put them on Xbox, probably. Well, I mean, the the idea itself is very good. Mm-hmm. And, well, from a competitive standpoint, the second half of that idea is good for Sony, I guess. It's good in that, like, hey, if you've got an existing community of people that you like to voice chat with who aren't PlayStation owners, you can voice chat through your PlayStation with them. That's positive. Yeah. Yeah. But let's fuck everyone else, because they're not buying from us, you know. It's Seems familiar. Just more attitude, just more... More of the attitude that we love. I mean, here's the thing, right? Yeah. People tell me, when when I used to say EA bad and not go into it, people were fine. Now that I sort of talk about the wider elements, it's now, oh, you're too repetitive, right? How can I avoid talking about capitalism with this shit? Look at all the topics we've had to bring up today. Yeah. These are all the big topics. Now, I'm sure, you know, game blogs and reporting sites and that will happy to just relay the facts. Like, we're not a news ticker. 
over here. You can't not anymore. Unless you want the most shallow coverage of stuff possible, you cannot look at the increasing, and it is increasing, increasing yeah. piss take of these companies and not examine why and how they're allowed to. I'm sorry that talking about capitalism all the time is depressing, but look what we're working with here. The video game industry is inextricably linked to the rampant late stages of capitalism. They're just openly, flagrantly displaying it. You can't separate the two at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it would be like reviewing Ubisoft games. I mean, who does that anymore, considering Ooh. what they've got hanging? Oh. Mm. Uh, that being said, there is a Ubisoft story this week. That is important to talk about, and is they finally admitted how much Eve Jumanji? Mm. Uh, no, that's oh. not what we're at this week. Oh. So you know, last summer there was that story of the hoax uh, hostage situation in one of Ubisoft's offices. Yes, we now know more about what happened with that. Mm. The short version attained from court documents seems to be that there is a single person who was a Rainbow Six cheater who had been responsible not only for that incident, but for several other incidences that followed that did not get press coverage in order to not give them attention and to not give this person what they were clearly seeking. <laughs> I just... Uh... <sighs> It's yeah. the demands, the demands that I... I uh. Yeah, yeah. So the original story from last year, police received a call basically saying five men had taken 40 employees hostage. They would blow everything up if demands for a $2 million ransom were not met. Following that and the fact <laughs> that like they did a very heavy SWAT response to what turned out to be a hoax, um, they ended up changing their procedures of how they would respond to something like that. But this malicious person continued to call in fake threats following this. In December, they claimed to have placed a bomb near the daycare facility within their offices. In January, they claimed a senior Ubisoft employee had been shot in the head following another hostage incident. Police in both cases did more discreet checks of the building. A final call to Ubisoft a day later uh, reportedly saw them continue terrorising the company after an attempt to impersonate a Rainbow Six designer and gain access to their corporate account failed. This is the good one. This is so good. At the time, the caller is said to have demanded Rainbow Six game keys and the commands needed to ban people. <laughs> they really stepped down from give me two million. Scaled, certainly scaled back the demands. Yeah. I won't go into the specifics of who the people are who have been... Um, Arrested, but to not give them the notoriety. Well, they haven't—they haven't been arrested. Dangerous, weird, scary people. They, nobody's yeah. been arrested. I don't think. I think they just think um, they know who did it, and they're saying I didn't do it, and they're going to get away with it because they're in Quebec. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, so you know. it's believed that two people were involved who collectively have been banned from Rainbow Six more than eighty times between them. Fucking hell! One of them admitted to being involved in a swatting incident. No, no, no. It's the same. Person. Oh, that's two names for the same person. Okay. They just have two usernames. Yeah. So they are said to have admitted to being involved in a swatting incident. They've been formally accused by French police of setting up uh, a fake Ubisoft site to steal account details. But this is the bit I don't get of this reporting. They're said to have admitted to being involved in a swatting incident, but has denied any involvement in the hoaxes. Yeah, well, th what they're claiming is like, hey, you know, I might have 
called them and been pissed off about them banning me and, and you know, was an asshole on the phone. Yeah, I did okay, some yeah. of this, but not the really bad shit. I didn't do the hoaxes that you're accusing me of, which may yeah. or may not be true. I don't know. Then that's another reason not to share this person's name like this. Yeah, they claim... I just cheated in their video games. The only time I called Ubisoft was to insult them for banning me from Rainbow Six. Police are working to identify and arrest one or more suspects. But it's, yeah, the difference between Quebec and France and extradition probably means that there will not be any arrests over this. But yeah, I feel very bad for the people involved who had to go through thinking they were in a hostage situation. And whoever had to deal with the repeated future calls of this is probably fake, but what if it's not? That is incredibly stressful. That is a horrible thing to put anyone through. So I'm glad that everyone continues to be okay. And it's really shitty that this story continued to be a thing again and again you know it's easy and tempting to like point and laugh at the person for being so pathetic but it this is also very scary unhinged behavior and the fact that not a lot can be done about it is yeah is fairly terrifying for anyone with a public you know it is depressing how easy it is to fabricate something like this if you know the phone number for a company and where their office is located. That is not a lot of information required to do some really horrible things. Mm-hmm. The last little pair of stories on here, we'll, we'll go over quick because they were the... Oh, can we call it the bonus round? We'll do a bonus round, yeah! Because this is the focus of the Jimquisition this week. So if you want more information, go watch the Jimquisition this week. CD Projekt Red's oh. uh, bosses, five executives at the company, took home nearly $30 million in bonuses across five people, while the same amount was shared between the entire rest of the company's bonuses. How do you not talk about capitalism? That sounds fair and equitable. It sounds like the people who did the work got rewarded for their labor. Yeah. How do you not talk about capitalism (laughs) while discussing this? How does Uh, it work? uh, Additionally, another story for the bonus round. Bobby Kotick took a 50% pay cut this this year, but that means fucking nothing. Because, yeah, sure, Bobby Kotick, his salary, his base salary has reduced by $875,000 this year. Hang on, his base salary... Can we just roll the stop for just a second? Yes, I'd like everyone that- to ponder for a second <laughs> that his base salary went down by $875,000. And it's still $875,000. Yeah. Yeah, but... But even then, that doesn't account for his ridiculous bonuses, which have always been the far bigger problem. You've got the standard edition price. Let's look at Digital Deluxe. <laughs> like, the, the problem has never been that. It's tens and tens of millions in annual bonuses. Yeah, he walked away. He has walked away in past years with like between 30 and 40 million dollars. He is a yeah. billionaire already. Doesn't need a single cent of any of this. But he seems to not be motivated to work without massive bonuses. Bonuses, perks, stock options, all the good stuff, all the juicies. Uh, and I'm sure he does so much work. Absolutely. Certainly, you know, being paid like 300 times as much until now, I guess it's 150 times as much now. Minus bonuses. As the average worker who can't, minus bonuses, who can't eat at the cafeteria? Can't eat at the cafeteria, have to choose between food and rent. You know, veterans that have been there 10 years and are making less money now than they were when they started. You know, that's almost another entire job, it seems like you're describing. Yeah. He's got to be working hard to be better than that. Yeah. Fuck 
him. Yeah. So in a sense, his employees are doing two jobs. So he's still making 320% (laughs) more than them. Yeah. So we'll skim over the rest of that. But if you want a good, long, in-depth video about that topic, hey, go watch the Jimquisition, which uploads every Monday and is all about this particular topic this week. Yeah, I'm sorry I can't just do happy videos. You know, I could do like... uh, top 10 shooters but don't worry it's a happy video if you put the closed captions on because you get to see how i chose to subtitle fart and burp dog there you go the fart and burp dog's good yeah gather ye round for the fart and burp dog how did i communicate an oscillating fart yeah you can find out i do my best i do the best i can but i've i can only work with what the industry gives me and it gives you nothing because it only wants to take yeah <sighs> Exploitative, manipulative, underpaying, mean, mean companies. In every sense of that word, by the way. Yeah. Just nasty, fucking. Yeah. Misers, just selfish, arrogant, rude fuckers. Should we wrap this episode up then? <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I think yes. that's. Yeah. <sighs> I tell you what, I've had enough, Laura. You've had enough. I need something. I need different content. What What have you got? Well, you can you can check out all my things at Laura K Buzz on Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. I Twitch stream Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 10 p.m. UK, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Mondays are usually a couple of indie games. Fridays are usually Train Simulator. Wednesdays are up in the air. Who knows what they could be? Beyond that, I have books. Uncomfortable Labels, that one's out now. Things I Learned from Mario's Butt, that's out now. Gender Euphoria, that comes out on June 10th, 2021. That's like a month away. I'm about to have several weeks of hundreds of boxes of books in my flat, so that's going to be fun. The signing begins. Other than that, every Friday on YouTube, I upload episodes of Accessibility. It is a show all about accessibility and representation in the games industry. This week's episode is about Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. I couldn't, for the life of me, on camera remember the name of that game. So have fun listening to a robot voice say the right game name sometimes. There's also podcasts. Pixel Squirt, it's about video game character pornography, queer and pleasant strangers, where I talk about things that aren't video games that I have done in the week. Uh, and then there's Dice Funk, it's a Dungeons and Dragons podcast, each season's its own self-contained story. I'm on seasons 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. And hey, if you've listened to Polquisition before and you enjoyed that episode where Thayma Sophie came on, they are now on Dice Funk season 8, you should go check it out. They're, they're cool, you've listened to them before, you'll like them. You know who's not on Dice Funk now, but was in the past? It's Conrad. That's true. And you could find me on Twitter at Conrad Zimmerman. You can also watch me on Twitch uh, four days a week at a varying schedule of times. Just go to twitch.tv slash that Conrad Zimmerman and check that out. You can buy anti-capitalist propaganda from me at pinfultruth.com. And by the way, if you had been interested in purchasing it, but you lived somewhere other than the United States... And you were like, holy shit, that shipping is outrageous for what they're selling. I couldn't have agreed more. And I managed to get shipping costs down by 50% or more internationally. So come on by and buy pins. Or you could buy audiobooks from me at conradreads.com. You could also listen to me on Let's Talk About Snacks 
with Lauren Morgan and Linda Camiolo talking about snacks every Monday, wherever podcasts are acquired. And I also have a Patreon that helps fund basically everything I do. That's at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? James Stephanie Sterling. That is correct. Patreon.com slash Jimquisition. And that's about it. I mean, there's Twitch as well, TV, Jim Sterling. And that's it. Yeah, we've. that was a long key, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. How about that? We'll see you next time. All right? Get elbow deep in me. Bye. Bye. <laughs> oh, that really was rock solid.